Hello everyone, welcome to Tennis with an Accent. This is Saqib Ali hosting the show. Uh, we took a few weeks off uh, from this cadence of the podcast as we bring in Karen Health and uh, her work through our podcast. But now uh, we're resuming uh, some of the normal service here. Uh, and we have a very special guest today. Uh, I'm, I cannot get tired of saying this because, you know, the voices that are coming to Tennis with an Accent makes uh, me a very excited uh, interviewer and my guest today is Daniel Dobhe from uh, Romania, a very well-known uh, name in the tennis uh, community. Coach Simona Halep to the Wimbledon title last year has been her coach on and off, but Daniel has a very rich resume. Uh, he's been a true student of the game for Romanian tennis. He has associations uh, that way, go way back to Gunther Bosch. He's been involved in Davis Cup. He played at the Tour. He's a director at, uh, uh, at, at different tournaments. And uh, let me bring the guest, and he can help introduce himself better if I didn't do a good job. Welcome to the show, Daniel. Thank you very much for the invitation. It's really exciting to be here. Yeah? I mean, I never thought about these things, you know, to be live, and then maybe I don't know how many people will listen, but uh, I'm happy if, because you invite me. No, no, it's, it's an honor. And any time, you know, uh, someone with your pedigree comes to the show, I become a fan, even though I'm trying to be objective. I'm excited because all the Thank knowledge uh, that uh, someone in your position can share with someone like me and the listeners, it's really gold. And, and we live in this strange times right now. There's no live tennis. We are all locked down in our houses. There's very limited access. So during this time, this knowledge is even is more easy to focus because we don't have live tennis going on. So the podcast and the interviews become uh, a, a real good source for the real fans of the sport to stay connected. So this is a very standard question, Daniel. I ask everyone who's come here. Uh, what is your relation to tennis? When did it start? What were, who were your heroes growing up? And uh, when was that moment that you decide you will become a professional in tennis? Oh, so I start... Okay, if you compare to... Uh, to um... Today, I start late, so about 10, I was 10 when I started to play with my father, he was just an amateur, and uh, that time it's about 1979, 1980s, in the 80s, so it was Bjorn Borg, it was uh, McEnroe, you know, it was Jimmy Connors, it was still Ilya Anastase, yeah, well, he, Anastase, he was playing Davis Cup, so I met him, to, I was a ball boy one time, so uh, um, this is the time when I start, and... Uh, I start with a lot of uh, effort and I like it so much. So with uh, 16, I was already in the Romanian team, national team, and uh, starting to play some international tournaments. It was a really nice time and it was really difficult to go out from the communist Romania at the time. You know? So through tennis, uh, you get the possibility to to see countries, so we went to Italy, to France, and uh, play some matches, and uh, with 18, I make, I think, 18 or 19, I made my first ATP points yeah, in Israel. That time, it was the satellite system, so you were, you, were, you were playing about four weeks to get the points, you know, so, yeah, until uh, 1990, until the Romanian revolution came, so I was trying to play, but... I felt that I was not really good enough to make the big step to the really professional, you know, top 300, top 200. So I started really early my career as a coach. 1990, I left from Romania to Izmir in Turkey. So that's it. Yeah. In no, that's not it. That's that's that's, that's, that's short, short way about. That's pretty. My 
That's pretty good stuff. So who were your early impressions in, for coaching? I know you have a special relation with Gunther Bosch. Uh, Gunther Bosch, of course, is famously known to be Boris Becker's coach for the first two Wimbledon wins when Becker was 17 and 18. What's your history with Gunther Bosch? Please uh, share with the listeners here. Yes, so um, uh, I get a, a really old partner. It's Adrian Marquis, his name, a really good player and also a really good coach. He, he coached a lot of also Simona Halep and a lot of the Andre Pavel and Marius Kopil. So he's my partner, my business partner since long time. And... Uh, during my time in Turkey, he was in Germany, and he opened a tennis school um, together with uh, Günther Bosch. So in 1994, uh, they asked me maybe to join them. So I left Turkey, I left Istanbul for Salzburg in Austria, a really nice place, where we had a tennis school with, uh, like, Boletieri, with internat, the, people, the children were sleeping there, going to the school. So that was the first time I met him. So it was in the January '95. I started to work with him, so it was in December I met him first time, and then in ninety in January '95 we started to work together there. I mean, I was just a beginner because in Turkey I was like a, a player coach, so just um, things that I I learned myself I was using. So at that time you don't have internet, you don't have the possibilities to get information as today. So everything I know, so my my coach character, it's. Uh, is coming over Günther Bosch. No, that's uh, that's really uh, informative. So, a very hypothetical question: Günther Bosch and all these uh, other great coaches from a different generation. Do you think, uh, with their knowledge and their, you know, they were big on discipline? Uh, of course, you know, world has changed. Okay. How would a Günther Bosch coach today say if he was coaching a Sasha Zverev or Nick Kyrgios? Can a Günther oh. Bosch function in today's world? No, never. Because I don't know if you know the story, and I think it's a true story. His relation with uh, Boris Becker just, um, um, let's say, they, they, it was over, yeah, over a very small thing. Uh, Boris Becker was late one day to the morning running, yeah, didn't call before, you know, that's, I don't know why. And uh, Gunther Boris said, okay, Boris, you are late, you know our deal. We quit. So he took his bag and he left. And Boris was so angry, they didn't speak together for 10 years, what I heard. Mm. Yeah. So I don't think then that Günther Bosch will accept this thing. It was a man of principle, so he never <coughs> go back. He never accepted things over his principles. So <coughs> I think it's, it's, it's quite impossible for him. I, I don't know, because I, I met him also when he was over 65, so... At that time, I don't, normally people, they don't change. Maybe if he was 50 or 40, you get a, a possibility to change your, the way you coach, the way you see the things. But <laughs> it's really, really a good question. And uh, I don't think that he will accept these things. No, I mean, I'm, I'm a big Boris Becker fan. That's the reason I'm maybe talking to you today, because we all have one player. That's why right. my, my father bought me uh, Gunther Bosch's book, Boris, when I was yeah. 10 years old. So I still have that book. That's the only yeah. book I brought to America when I moved from India. Yeah. So I was just curious. So more about your coaching style. Uh, what have you learned from Gunther Bosch? And then I've also read your interviews where you say you, are, you're, you believe in very open communication with, say, Simona Halep. So you think uh, what you learned from Bosch, the old school coaching values, uh, or what you inherited from him by even observing or talking to him, do you think you are a mixture of uh, Bosch and uh, what is your coaching style? I mean, and how do you keep the openness you had with Simona? How is that possible? You're keeping discipline and open communication. Yes. Uh, 
the thing is then uh, the education that we get in Romania is close to the way Gunther Bosch seeing tennis. So for sure, I am the the, the the a person close to his his way. Yeah, it's for sure. Most of the let's say the, my generation. Okay, I'm 50, 51. So the people in my generation, most of them they are very focused on discipline and a hard worker and. Uh, um, the other thing then then I learned from Gunter Bosch is then that you need to to trust your instinct. He was a really good um, he he get a really good eye. So all the time he was looking to somebody. I have I can tell you an example. He he brought in our camps that time in in I think it was in Berlin or in in Salzburg. It was one boy. He was 14 I think something like this. You know, playing tennis about three years or something. A beginner, really a beginner. So when he came. I, I won against him six lakhs in love with my left hand, and I am a right-hander, you know. So you can imagine how 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 bad the guy was, you know. And he a really bad bad body, you know, and long and skinny and. But he get a good a, a very good serve, like uh, like the stroke, the movement, and and really a good talent. And Günther Boy said, okay, it doesn't matter if he's not so good. I think this guy we can play a good tennis. And uh, he stayed about three, four years in our camp. So with 18, he made an ATP point. If if you can imagine, you know, what a big uh, what a big uh, improvement. So this was Gunter Bosch. He, he he had a good eye. On the other side, only one time I saw him making like a small mistake. So it was Philip Kohlschreiber, the German. You know, he was uh, living in in München. So we were we were in Salzburg. We were about 130 kilometers away. He was looking for a sponsor. He was 12, 13, I don't know. So he was really playing good. But, you know, that style, with the, he's playing with the same grip on the both sides, you know, really close. And Gunther Bosch was not such a big fan of this. And he said he's a really good guy, but um, I don't spend money for him. So I, I don't think then he will be very, very good. Yeah, so that was the, the only player where he was a little bit a mistake because Koshkab was a wonderful player. And he is also a wonderful player, you know. So coming back, so I take the principle, yeah, uh, follow your instinct, try to, to go through your philosophy, doesn't matter if the parents or the other people uh, don't like it, don't accept compromise with the player, yeah, this is what I took from Gunther Bosch, yeah, and then he was a really hard, arbor, uh, hard uh, worker, yeah? he was 65 and he could stay about eight hours on the court basket and giving advices and playing football with us so the part with hard work i also took it from him so i work from the morning till day i don't have any problem the other thing that i learned it's um, it's a little bit about um, about the new technologies about the possibility to analyze and the possibility to to learn as a coach from the best players so my my best let's say my best um knowledge i took it from the television yeah? watching the time agassi watching becker as you said watching uh, star okay federer was not watching uh, sampras and todd martin and the spanish guys you know it was moya bruguera i was on the tour with some romanian boys so watching them how they play watching them how they prepare then going in the gym and learn about uh, physical condition because that time we didn't get in romania the possibilities so this knowledge make to make my own system. So together with that, I learned from her, her Bosch, um, from Gunther Bosch, I, I create my own system of coaching. Yeah, with the specific uh, 
programs of uh, daily training with uh, plans, development plans, and and personal style for the players, you know. And these are normal things that you can learn in university, but I, I was not in the sport university. I was a student in a technical university in Romania because I started before the uh, before the revolution. Mm-hmm. So it was a big effort of about of self-knowledge, everything, you know. No, that's, uh, that's quite the answer there. And I'm thinking now uh, that goes back to the Bosch book on uh, Becker. When I remember uh, vividly that Bosch and Tyriac were huge in Becker, and they talk about his, you know, uh, movement. I think his footwork was not uh, typical and he was not even the best junior for the longest time. But then within a few years, I think they invested in him and he won Wimbledon. So instincts are definitely important. So yeah. so my other question is, uh, we're going back to Becker, Tyriac, and I'm sure you came from Romania, same uh, principle, same system that was there. There was a coach or a federation, parents, an agent or a sponsor. So talk about the importance of sponsor. How big is that? Sponsor may not be the case in American tennis system, but is the sponsor such a big factor for anyone to break through into the circuit or the satellite circuit back then? Uh, talk about the the, the the trilogy there back-to-back with the federation, coach, parents, and uh, sponsor. Yeah, for sure it's a, big, uh, it's a big issue if you get a sponsor. I mean... Um... If we look at the Romanian, um, let's say, top players in the last 20, 25 years, most of them, they get, they were lucky, lucky. They were so good that somebody saw them, a sponsor, a friend of the family, a friend of the friend of the family, and they get money. Yeah, I can tell you, it was uh, Hănescu, it was Victor Hănescu, Alexandra Dulgheru, Monica Niculescu, uh, Simona Halep get uh, help from the sponsor and a lot, a lot of players. Yeah, I speak about Romania, yeah, because uh, the federation in Romania is not so rich, so we get a really small amount of money. It's about 800, 900,000 euro per, per year, and if we've uh, included there the the salaries, you know, for the people working there. So I think the more than a half it's about the, for the salaries. So you have about 500,000 euro to develop a system to, to 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 send the people to the tournaments, to make practice, to get balls, to get everything. So it's nothing. So um, the federation, it's um, it's helping. We have a, a national training center in Bucharest with about uh, 10, 14 courts, four hard courts and, and 10 uh, uh, clay courts. So there the national team members, they can uh, practice for free. Depending of the age, uh, let's say 12 years old, you can you get six uh, hours a week free. If you are 16, you get eight and something like this until the Davis Cup and the Fed Cup players, they get uh, how much they need. And then you get the support for the for the some important tournaments, the European Championship, Le Petit As, or Orange Bowl or Eddie Hare in America. The national teams, they, they send there. And that's all. Yeah, and you get some ball sometimes, and uh, good. We get a good uh, tournament system, so you, you get some wild cards, so you can make the points without going uh, out from Romania. 12 years old, or ETA under Tennis Europe under 14, ITF under 18, ATP, WTA, you get some tournaments, but you don't get money. Yeah, so there, that's why the parents are very important in Romania. So most of the the players at each level they start with uh, with money from the parents. And uh, not all the parents are really 
very rich. So then is coming the sponsor. Yeah, and uh, can, can a sponsor be an agent or sponsor is different? Can was Aeon Tiriak Boris Becker's sponsor? If I understand yeah, it, this correctly. Yeah, it was, but it was also because you spoke about instinct. Uh, the, the in the first two two years. From 14 to 16, Ion Tiriak doesn't want to give money to um, to Gunter Bosch for Becker because, because he said this this is not a good guy. Don't have a behavior, cannot move, yeah, don't listen. I mean, he was not sure then. I mean, it was Gunter Bosch who quit his job as national trainer in Germany. That means he was doing the time 10,000 markets about, let's say, 20,000 euros now per month for his life. Yeah, So nobody could, could put him out of the of the job, you know. So he quit and started to train Boris Becker for nothing. And after two years, he get the first 100,000 from Tiriak for Becker. And in one year after, he won Wimbledon. Yeah, I mean, it was really a big story there. Yeah, so uh, Jon Tiriak, I think, is not a sponsor for, for people in Romania. He gets his own foundation and the foundation and he does some other things. But directly uh, involved in sponsoring players in Romania, he is not. Yeah, but, but they are some other people, some some rich people who get money and get relations, some uh, some big uh, corporates, and uh, uh, it's a let's say it's more like a personal thing, you know. So everybody knows somebody, and you speak about me as a coach. If I have a, if I play tennis with somebody that is rich and I know he is really a good guy, I speak about my player. If I really trust that player, I speak. Look, I have a guy. Uh, or I have a club. I was working uh, Dinu Pescariu was a former top 60, top 70 player from Romania. He get a really nice club, like a country club in Bucharest. So I was working there for 10, more than 10 years, and uh, I was asking all the time for his help. Yeah, look, I have a good guy. I need him. Let me to uh, to help him. Let him practice here for nothing. Let's give him some money to go to the tournaments. And we make a good generator of junior like this, yeah, top 50 juniors, set to top 400, 500 ATP. But if you want to go higher, so for sure you need more money. So some can, of the can can, some sponsor, of the can sponsor be anonymous because I was at Marat Safin's uh, Hall of Fame induction, and he thanked someone who sponsored him. And he said, you know, that someone never came forward, so they gave money through someone so he can go yeah. to Spain. So yeah. is that a normal thing that people sponsor players out of any in, any business interest? Uh, there are some things like this. Some, I mean, some of them, they give money just like this. Some of them, they have a contract and the players, they are paying back everything. So I know cases in the both situation, but uh, most of them, they like to be associated with tennis. So Did you have a sponsor when you were trying to come up? No, no. That time in the communist time, no, you never. That okay. time you get the you get the club, you get the club paying for uh, Romanian in the for the tournaments in Romania. But if you go outside, so we were traveling uh, because right now, if you if you speak with the new generation in Romania, Romania is not a rich country, but some of the people they get some money, so they have a good uh, lifestyle. And the children playing tennis, they don't they don't have any problems, you know. They don't they don't think then. Then they they will go to a tournament and don't have a good restaurant or the best hotel or something. And we are traveling the time with hundred dollar in the pocket for one month. So if if you are you are, if you lose in the first round, you don't get the fifty dollars in the satellite. You don't have to eat. So that was our time, you know. But right now it's a little bit different in Romania. So um, 
most of the people playing tennis, they get a little bit money, so they have a decent life, you know. And if you don't have it, for sure, the coach or the club or the federation, if you are really a big talent, so Monica Niculescu, she, she was a, really from a really poor family. So it was a good club. Yeah, and the coach there spoke with some people playing there. They get money and they put money together and they help her. And she's, uh, she became an unbelievable player, you know. So um, um, what I can tell you, Romania, we don't lose, we, we never lost a really good player because he get uh, the parents or he can don't have the money. All the time it was somebody helping them. Yeah, so it's I'm proud about this because most of the sponsors they, they did it because they love tennis, yeah, and not to get something back. Okay. All right, so we covered quite a f- few topics here. We have a lot of information on Bosch. We have talked about the sponsor importance, uh, you know, breaking through to the main circuit. Let's talk about Halep. Let's go back to what is 2008? That's how long ago that you know her uh, from or from the junior days. What's your first memory of Simona and when did you meet her? Uh, Oh, that's a long time ago. She came one time with her her coach. I think she was 12, 11, 12 or 13 in my my tennis academy in Berlin that time. So this is 2000, I don't know, one, two, I don't know that time. Yeah, she was playing some um, under 12 tournaments, so they stopped uh, to practice a few days there. So that's the first time when I saw it, you know. So she was looking like, uh, she was very skinny, but uh, the big eyes, you know, and the focus on the ball, um, is, it was the same like as now, you know. So that was the first time. And then uh, I met her 2008, 2007, 2007, I came back from Germany and I started to build something here. And I started with some some girls from her generation, really good girls. And uh, we met at the 10,000 the Futures level. One time she, she she won a tournament in the final with one of my, my girls. So it was 2008. So then I met her in Roland Garros when she won, I think also 2008. I'm not sure, but I think... Well, when she won the Roland Garros the time. So, yeah, they are almost, yeah, 12 years. Did she stand out as a junior? Like, your instincts tell you that, okay, she's going to be special, uh, even when she was very young? Yeah, to be special, yeah. But uh, I was, I mean, um, to understand how special she is, you need to to practice with her. You need to, to stay a little bit longer, and then you'll feel the power. And not only the tennis power, the... Uh, the power coming from inside, you know, the the fire inside her. So uh, if you just saw her playing, you say, okay, she is a good player. That time I was say, okay, she is a good player. She will be for sure top 50 or uh, uh, top 30. But the coach um, um, who helped her to to do the say the step from the juniors to to the big tennis, uh, Filicel Tomai is his name. He he worked long time with Hanescu also. He told me one time after 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 starting with her after six months he said she get a store for number one, yeah. So uh, that was uh, before I mean I don't know which year two, 2011 she may she she lost the final in Fes her first final, and speaking with him after that she said she yeah, she she have the stuff to be number one, yeah. Hmm. So when do you dis, uh, start coaching her? How did that partnership come along? Did she approach you or did you have a common, uh, did, was it through the Romanian Federation? How did you 
uh, become no. the coach of Simona Halep? Uh, so what, uh, it was, I think, 2013. At the beginning of 2013, she split with the coach with uh, I told you about. And uh, Virginia Guzic, her manager, was asking me if I want. But I was in the club that time. I, I had Alexandra Dulgheru at the time. I was not traveling so much because I, I wanted to build my business there in the club. So I told her I cannot because she, she wants a full coach to go on the tour and something. And then she she worked with some friend of mine, with Adrian Marku, in the, the last six months of 2013, when she started to win the tournaments. And I think she won six tournaments in that half a year. And she finished the year top 11 or 12, I don't know, in WTA ranking. I don't know why they, they finished the collaboration, finished of 2013, and then she called me. Uh, if I can help her for the for the winter preparation. So we did the winter preparation together, December and uh, a little bit be- before January, before the Australian Open. And then uh, that was the first time when we worked together, about one month. Yeah. And then starting from 2014, uh, each year I get contact with her. 2014, I make one and a half year the clay preparation. We have Fed Cup in Romania. Romania, first time they, we, we went to the World Group, really good matches. And then um, finally Madrid, okay, she was that time also working with Wimpy Set, a good friend of mine, a good coach, but all the time in Romania I was the coach, so we did the preparation here. And then it was year, the year when she played the final Madrid, final uh, uh, Roland Garros, she lost to Sharapova, and then semi-final uh, Wimbledon. And also 2014, I, the, the finish of the year I was with her, before the preparation before China and uh, Masters in uh, the first edition in Singapore when she played final, beat Serena in the group and then uh, she lost in the final. So that was the first year of our collaboration. Yeah, then of course you came back and helped her uh, win Wimbledon. So compare the growth of Simona from your first association to your second time, uh, which ended in November. The third time, time because 2016 from, from... 2016, one year until uh, May 2017, I was also with her and together with Darren Cahill. I was the coach for Romania and also uh, for the tournaments where uh, he was commentating, so I was there. So in the third time. So how did she improve or grow in all those three different phases? Did you see some changes? Because players evolve and she's a world-class player, world champion type of player. So did you see any significant changes every time you started a new partnership with her? Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, not only, let's say, tennis, because tennis, because the speed is going each year higher, so normally your tennis is, is going up. Even if you don't want, the, if you stay there in the, uh, at the top, you are going better. But the most important improvement, it was on the emotional and mental part. So, uh, uh, Darren had a big, um, Darren helped her a lot. Yeah, it's his win because uh, the art of, 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 of the Australian art, you know, a little bit uh, relaxed and uh, uh, speaking better and um, getting a lot of respect from her because still is a name. I mean, who I am as a name in front of Darren, you know. So these things uh, help her to be more mature, uh, to accept more uh, easier, you know, the bad period of the year, to accept uh, a defeat a little bit, not not easy, but a little bit, uh, I mean, not so negative. 
So she was all the time a really good player, but uh, keeping more uh, control, more emotion under control, being tougher mentally, you know, accepting. She she's a very instinctual player, and you know, with the new statistics and everything, you can get a lot, a lot of information about the opponent and about you also. So at the beginning, she was not so open to, to these things, and also didn't convince her to use a little bit more, to stay more on, focus more on the tactic. So. These parts, they, I mean, make her a much better player. Now, that's something very interesting and actually very important what you mentioned. A player can only be good on the court if he or she is feeling better in life in general because court is their workplace and, you know, they have to be, uh, they have to be at a good place. So, you think in, uh, in today's tennis, a coach's job is also to look beyond the player's tennis interest uh, or it becomes uh, different with player to player like your relation with uh, Dulegeru compared to Halep uh, how do you compare the two relationships and how do you manage the two players yeah it's 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 yeah it's the first thing I mean the it's very difficult to make a comparison because I stuck with Dulegeru she was really young she was 18 or something and uh, 319 in the world or something like this so and then Simona was already 23, 24, and she was the top 10 almost. So it's it's a different approach, you know. And also the, the different uh, character of the players, you know, may, um, um, are, they are, are um, making you to see different. So Alexandra is a player who, it's a very talented player. She's an artist, yeah, but in the same time, she is very, not unfocused, but... Uh, She's losing the the concentration sometimes outside of the court. She's late sometimes. She's speaking a lot. She's forgetting things or something like this. Simona is not like this. I mean, in the 12 years I know her, she never was late one time. You know, if, if, if you speak with Simona something now, she will uh, uh, know these things also after 20 years. If you speak with Alexandra, it's possible maybe one hour, uh, one hour after she will forget about. Yeah. So the most important thing as a coach is to find the the right language for each of your players, you know, and uh, the language is changing with the maturity of the player. With Alexandra, I'm also in contact right now, and sometimes, and also I, I helped her during the last 10 years, many times uh, when she came back from the injuries and also two, two years ago or something when she I was in Paris and in Wimbledon she qualified person round almost beats uh, Venus Williams on the on the court number one in Wimbledon and she's right now another player you know because she's more mature than 10 years ago so my language and must change also yeah so that's why uh, this mental part and emotional part of uh, of the of, of of the work with the player it's so important today and um, my bad and my 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 big regret is that uh, I never I never learned really learn about these things to go to make some psychology courses some mental to get some mental coach lessons or things like this um, but it's the also a little bit the art of the Romanian people, you know, not because I, I was thinking then, then that I know everything good, but all the time you find excuses. I work too much, eh, so you forget what you really need to be better, 
And right now with this uh, break from tennis, I start first time in my life to make some personal, uh, some I to learn a little bit about psychology, about mental coaching and everything. And it's really nice. Yeah. And uh, for sure, if I was doing this 10 years or 20 years ago, I could help and um, more players and uh, for sure, um, not that I get better results, but for sure my relation with the player could be better. No, absolutely. So let's start, let's take a look back at what happened with Simona last year. Compare the two situations where she came to Roland Garros as defending champion and then, of course, she wins Wimbledon a few weeks later. So talk about the mindset, the pressure she was feeling there. At least we feel like she was... So there was some pressure because she was expected to defend her title. And at Wimbledon, she was really not expected to win, even though she has had good results on grass earlier. Uh, so talk about the two Grand Slams. You were with her last year and the, the mindset difference, what she went through at uh, Roland Garros and then how she triumphed against uh, Serena Williams at Wimbledon. Yeah, so uh, for sure Roland Garros was, uh, I mean, the first, uh, the first time when she asked me, in, it was in March, to go with her on the tour, it was supposed to, to make the clay season. Because the clay season, it was a difficult one Madrid and uh, before, I think, Stuttgart. Was, and she get a lot of points and uh, for sure the title in, in Roland Garros. And she was, um, she was not feeling under pressure, but for sure she, she liked to do good. Yeah? Okay, I don't, maybe I don't win uh, Paris again, but I don't lose first round or something. So I, I she, she's a, Player, she gives all the time 100% or more. Yeah. So we spoke about this and we spoke about the expectation of the season. And uh, my opinion was okay. We try to do everything good, but in the same time, you don't have a pressure to win a Grand Slam this year. Yeah. Uh, you want to be maybe again uh, number one. Okay. So what can we do? We we can take tournament uh, step by step the tournaments because in the Finish of the year, don't have so many points to defend. So it's not a problem if you don't do very good uh, on clay and you lose some points there because you have the possibility yeah, in the second part of the year to do your points. So that was our strategy. So don't be, don't feel so much under pressure from the points part. Yeah, Just try to play good tennis. And she was playing really good tennis. I mean, all the tournaments that she played from Miami, when I started with her, she was playing a great tennis. Unlucky, lost some matches. That the match in against Pliskova there, winning, and then with the rain, and then um, good Fed Cup when we already beat France. She already beat alone France. She won two matches in single, and then in the doubles with uh, Monica Niculescu almost beat Gar- uh, Garcia and uh, Mladenovic. And then um, we went, and then she played uh, the final in Madrid. Six forces. Okay, Bertens was playing really good. And then uh, Paris was not bad, yeah, but it was really unlucky because uh, the match before, uh, the day before, uh, so not the match day against Anisimova was raining, so it was a really bad day. The next day you go on the court, uh, difficult court, uh, the ball's heavy. Um, Simona like a little bit, uh, let's say, uh, faster game, yeah, and uh, she was also not so comfortable with a young player because she don't know what to expect yeah and uh, I couldn't uh, I couldn't uh, get get her in the right let's say uh, tactical spot 
she didn't she didn't speak so much she was a little bit by her own and uh, yeah so the match was not good yeah she gets two break points in the second set where she she could come back and uh, she step inside even if she knows then Anisimo is going here a great second set she was trying to make the point so some unlucky decision she lost the match but she was not disappointing because quarter final as defending champion it was not bad yeah and uh, at the finish of the clay season it was not such a big uh, loss of points i mean it was okay and uh, our focus on wimbledon was uh, from before that from before olanga from the clay because i said okay you played very good at wimbledon yeah the game is better she was serving good yeah so we said for sure we can do something good in wimbledon yeah and that was before we started Roland Garros, because I saw her playing there two times. And uh, the year 2016, she lost to Kerber in the, in the quarterfinal, 7-6, 7-5. Kerber lost in the final at the time to Serena. So I saw her playing really good tennis. So I said, OK, let's try Wimbledon. And uh, our luck, it was that uh, Wimbledon opened the, the gate early this year. So we were, I think, the first to arrive there. So it was four years before starting in Innsbruck the tournament. So we get a good preparation of clay. And also, uh, for the first time, she was starting to feel the grass, the movement on grass, because Simona is a player who needs to, to feel the court when she's moving. She's leaving from running good, from covering the court, you know, from pushing in the legs. So she was comfortable with the court, suddenly. She was not thinking about uh, gate injured or uh, slip uh, sliding or something like this. So it was really a good preparation. Six matches in doubles and singles in Eastbourne, three days before, so it was ten days on grass. Good atmosphere in the team. She was she met somebody in her life, the boyfriend, and she was coming first time with her, so she was in a really good mood, emotional, you know. So yeah, so she she gave everything more relaxed than normal i mean than, than she used to do it you know so the draw was difficult really difficult draw when we saw it but we said okay let's take it step by step and at the finish was unbelievable tournament and virginia ruzic her manager after azarenka match she said she will she will win the tournament now what was the game plan against uh, serena williams serena at wimbledon is as tough an opponent you can get so sometimes yeah. you think it helps playing someone who's so accomplished so Simona can go play a little freely. If it was the other way around, if Simona was a huge favorite, say, against someone else, you think there's more pressure? Or uh, talk about the Serena match. Uh, yeah, okay. I mean, if you saw the semifinal against Vitolina, a really tough match, you know, it was 6-1, 6-1 or something, 6-1, 6-3, I don't know. But it was unbelievable fight. So there Simona was uh, seed, so she was a favorite. And she handled it very, very good. So in the, the way she was playing, I think, um, was so confident and so, how can I say, uh, tactically so good against everybody that um, even if it was, let's say, high favorite Simona, uh, she was not going under pressure. If you remember the last 16 match against Goff, yeah, it was a really... Uh, let's say mental fight there. All the newspapers everywhere. Yeah, Simona, the young against old, and you uh, if if she's losing, what and what and what. I mean, and she was not playing good in that match, but she won it really good. 
I mean, she was tactically okay. She was very, very nervous, but she handled the pressure. So after that match, for sure, uh, if she was playing, I don't know, younger in the final, yeah, she, I think she, she will not get any problems. Yeah. And speaking about Serena, Serena was the big question, you know, because uh, if Serena is playing good, you can play your best tennis. So it's difficult to win against her. But uh, what we saw in the last year, two or three years, all the time in the finals, she get a little bit shaky. Yeah. And she was not playing bad. Yeah. But if you understand the moments where she is not so strong and you can uh, push her a little bit back there, make her to, to, to respect you, then you have a big chance to win. Yeah. And Simona did this very good. And um, the, the other part of the game was then she need to put pressure all the time she can over Serena, not to wait just to make a mistakes, to make mistakes, just to push her and to make her go back and to go for the winner and to go for the uh, very aggressive return on the second serve, yeah? To, to play a second serve aggressive, don't let her to step inside to make a good return. So she accepts all the tactical information and, and she did unbelievably well, you know, from the tactical part of game. And then uh, uh, after the match, after the start of the match where she breaks, I think her level of trust was really high, of confidence, you know. So after the second break, second break in the first set, I was saying, okay, this almost, she almost won the match, win the match, because even if she go in the third set, from the physically part, she is over Serena. Yeah. So yeah, that was. That was the story. So after the second break, it was 5-2 serving, didn't get a break point against in that, in that set. We in the team, we said, okay, yeah, 90% she will win the final. Now that's uh, quite, quite the result you guys had. So congratulations. It was such a, such a good performance against uh, pr- perhaps the greatest player that has played. Yeah. So let's talk about uh, more of the mental game here. Uh, sometime in the past, and sometimes press cannot be friendly, but you know everybody has a job to do. And Simona Halep has been, uh, a lot of us believe, not been treated rightly by some of the uh, tennis reporting, where her you know decision-making ability, her mental toughness has been questioned. You know the person really well. Uh, sh- try to shed some light there. How strong of a you know a mental player Simona is. And uh, and talk about her decision making, which I'm sure is a big principle in coaching. So talk about her in that light. So Simona, it's a it's a really strong personality. Yeah, all the decision about coaches and uh, about her tennis career, she took it almost alone since she is 14. Yeah, and this is a this is a let's say a strange way. Because in Romania, the parents are deciding everything, you know. So, uh, Simona, I think when she was 14 or 15, she said, I want to go to Bucharest, yeah, to practice there. So, she moved to Bucharest with her mother. She said, I don't like this coach anymore. I want that coach. So, she arranged that coach. And then she get, she said, okay, now I get the back problem. So, I need, uh, yeah, my... Uh, uh, how I say, my breast is too big, so I need to make an operation. She did an operation. So she is an unbelievable, uh, let's say, good person when we are speaking about taking decision. All the decisions she took it in her career, yeah, 
they were very important and all the time she moved a step higher. Yeah. So this is a good, uh, this is a very important point on the court also, because most of the time she's um, seeing, she's feeling the game. So she's taking good decisions tactically and technically. But in the same time, she get this, uh, she's a very, she don't accept uh, things halfway. She don't accept to make mistakes. She's a very perfectionist person. So that's why the, the negative part of the game is coming from this. I, how should I make a mistake like this? Yeah, and um, why sh I, I lost a game from 40 love and then I was so pissed and I won, I lost three games again uh, on a row. So this part is coming from um, um, from her way of doing everything perfect. So yeah. there was a time when she was regarded along with Wozniacki. They were the two players who were the best players of this generation to not have won a Grand Slam or a major yeah. tournament. Uh, how much of that was bothering her from inside? Because she knew she was good enough. We all knew she's, she's capable of winning not one, but more than one. And now she has won two majors and probably will add more. So yeah. how much of that was a concern? And when you were with her, uh, how, did the, how does a coach help if the player is feeling a little negative about that? I mean, the coach is all the time there to tell the player then that she, the player get the capability to do it. Yeah. And it was a matter of time. That, that the thing that all the time we spoke and Darren told her the same thing. You know, it was when Serena was playing good that time, you know, so almost the two older guys name were going to Serena, you know. So everybody, I mean, also we said, okay, in two or three years, maybe Serena will not be so, so such a, will not have such a dominant game. So we need to be ready for the post-Serena time. Yeah. So the post-Serena time arrived and Kerber won Grand Slam before, or I don't know who won a Grand Slam before, Muguruza. And you start to ask yourself, what's happened? And the, the bad part, the negative part is then also the Romanian press was sometimes writing bad things about, okay, she lost again and things like this. And people start to think about and ask themselves, okay, is she good enough? And, but, uh, she get a very good support from the family and they are very optimistic all the time. And she is a person who never gives up. And all she said, yeah, if doesn't matter, it will be now or in five years, so doesn't matter. For sure, I will, I will get my Grand Slam. And uh, she get a really big uh, heart. She can, she can motivate herself unbelievable when it's something to achieve. So she did this. What should I do as the coach? You need more condition, let's do more condition. I need more better serve, let's do better serve. So um, when she gets a goal, yeah, she can move the mountain, mountain to achieve that goal. So that's why in, in the team and, uh, and in the close uh, circle of the family, everybody was knowing that she will uh, get her Grand Slam. Okay, so one more question on uh, your association with Halep. Uh, I read in an old interview, I think, you said something that uh, her natural ability, her natural instincts on the court are very much like Federer. So what, what is there that some people don't see when they see it's Simona's game, that how complete it is? And what did you mean about, you know, her natural ability and instincts? I mean, if you saw, you need to, to see her in the practice. When, she, when you start with her to do things, uh, technical things, tactical things, where you need a lot of a fine touch of the ball. 
let's uh, short cross or drop shots or drive volleys. When she's relaxed, she can do everything very good. She gets a very good handle of the racket. Yeah, her coordination is great. She can serve sometimes. We did some, all the time, some bets. She put me the ball like a kick. She's not playing a kick serve in the match. But in the practice, she can play 20, 20 kicks on the on the line, yeah, on the uh, edge side. Yeah? So that's why, because she's very talented. You can see also in the matches when she's uh, confident and she played the unbelievable back and down the line or she's playing a drop shot or she plays some balls like this or she's going to play unbelievable volley or smash or returns. Or, but she needs um, need a lot of confidence and she needs to be relaxed. When she when she gets a lot of pressures and and she needs to win matches because 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 then um, she is not playing she is not showing her talent. But in the practice she can do with the ball everything. I put her playing with the with the good boys, you know, with the men's three four hundred ATP. She is playing the same the same level. Yeah, she is playing the same level. Okay, that, no, that's that's very interesting and. Uh, also, she is very talented, playing football very good, and, and everything. She is uh, in the gym. If you go in the gym with Simona and the, the fitness trainer is saying, okay, do this, she needs to see only one time, and she's doing perfectly. Yeah? It's unbelievable. No, no, absolutely. This is a very insightful. So let's bring in Virginia Rusic in the conversation. No, uh, I guess no conversation about Simona Halep can be complete about Virginia Rusic and Darren Cahill. So let's talk about uh, Rusic first. Uh, a player's manager is always behind the scenes, but how important is the manager's role? And talk about Simona's relationship with Virginia, because that's been a very steady presence in her career. And uh, when you become a champion when you grow in the rankings you need someone really to manage your affairs and uh, on, on the court and your professional tennis so talk about Virginia and talk about something that we don't know when we see these kind of uh, partnerships excel in tennis oh so the first uh, Virginia Virginia start uh, to help Simona when after I think after or before short before she won the Ronaldo was uh, as a junior she was 16 that time so Virginia was living in France. She was she is a former uh, Roland Garros champion, you know, and uh, former number I think seven in the world. So, she is it, the relation is not only about money, about managing, about making money for Simona. It's about also it's about tennis, about friendship because they are speaking on the same level. They are on the same. Uh, they can look in the eyes together and they say we are both of us. The, uh, we, I was, you are, I'm a great player. So uh, it's a big respect there, you know. And Virginia was, um, not only she was a really great player, she was working a lot of time, a lot of years for IMG. So she get the connection. So in the in the early phases of the career of Simona, you need somebody like this, you know. Open the doors, make a, a contract with Lacoste, with the rackets, and uh, arrange some wild cards and it was not easy because Simona was uh, in from the girls in Romania. Simona, I think, is the last one of the last uh, who won a tournament. Yeah, a WTA tournament. It was before Dulgheru, it was Kirstea, Niculescu. I don't know Begu. Begu, I think it was after. Yeah, it was Olaru before. So, four or five girls from, from the same generation they did better before Simona. So, Virginia never, never. Uh, he never gets upset or get some doubts about uh, about the possibilities that Simona had. So she was all the time there, 
all the time there. And uh, for sure, after Simona become bigger and bigger in the results and the big sponsor came and, and for sure it was better, it was easier for uh, Virginia Ruzzi to help her to arrange the better contracts. And How important is, a, is it for someone like you or Darren Cahill to get along with Virginia? Of course, you are managing Simona's tennis and she's managing the overall player. So do the coach and the manager have to be on the same page or you mind your own business? I mean, how does that relationship work? It's, it's working together because... Uh, um, Everything what what is about image and everything is going through the manager. So if the manager gets, uh, for sure, wants to have an interview, uh, she needs to communicate with the coach. If I have a day where I have two practices of two hours and you get conditioned and you are six hours working for tennis, for sure you will not get another two hours of interview. So this is an inter, this is a job. Then it's not uh, one job is not going without, without the other one. So it's a big communication between manager and and coach. And um, because she is also a former player, we are, I mean, me as a coach and also Darren, we are speaking about tennis, not, not only about business with, uh, with uh, Virginia. She gets a very good eye. Yeah, she can see also why a match, uh, why we lost, uh, why Simona lost a match, and why we can do good practice. She is not going to speak directly with Simona, never about tennis. Yeah, just okay, the bad luck or things like this. But uh, with us, with the team, we are, she is speaking about. Um, um, about technical things or tactical things because she's, she was part of the game. Yeah? Absolutely. So it's, a, it's a daily contact. Yeah. yeah. So let's uh, move on to Darren Cahill. You said in an interview last year in Roland Garros that Darren Cahill is uh, like uh, Simona's tennis father and you're like a very close tennis uncle. So how was it working with him and, and uh, what was the focus? Like what were you guys work, working as a team and coaching? She, share some uh, some some nice stories there because Darren is a very popular guy very well respected guy in the world of tennis so how is it working with him together to help uh, Halep become a better champion the, the most important thing in when you have two coaches okay I was more in Romania in some tournaments he was on the tour and the most important thing is to speak the same language yeah so normally um, we get some goals what we like to do in the preparation in the winter. We like to do this and this. What we like to do in the summer prayer. How we we'll prepare the hardcore. Things like this, you know. So we have a plan together with the fitness coach and everything. So we have a plan. So this is the most important thing. Uh, uh, Simona needs to hear all the time the same things. I cannot speak another language than there. Yeah? And then all the time you decide who is speaking now. Most of the time he was speaking. Yeah when we were both in the tournaments and if I had something to speak, yeah, first, I mean, he had another opinion than his opinion, I was speaking with him first, yeah, because for the, for the player to hear too many things is not good, yeah, so that was working very good with Darren and uh, the, the funny things with Darren is that knowing so many people, a lot of doors are opening for you. So I met a lot of good. I met my idol Ivan Lender. You know, I spoke with him, uh, and then uh, I um, I uh, I met uh, Rafa Nadal or other coaches. You know, so he's a really nice guy, and he's also very open. So all the time uh, when he was somewhere, I was going, and all the team we were going with him, and and we get a lot of fun. You know, on the tour with Darren. 
Yeah, and, and anyone who's listening, this should not come as a surprise because Darren Cahill does come across as a very nice guy. And you know, thanks for uh, sharing these, uh, uh, this story. So let's uh, keep the conversation for a little forward. And uh, uh, I mean, again, you know, I prepared some research with you. And of course, the common friend who arranged this interview told me uh, you're a big fan of Stan Wawrinka. So talk about Stan. Is it, is it that kind of a player sometime? If you get a chance, would you work with him? Or what is about his game? Uh, that that you like and uh, any any Stan Wawrinka story you want to share uh, with the listeners here? Yeah, so um, I remember it was I don't know which year, long time ago. He played one match. I think it was a quarter final in Dubai against Federer. He was a young guy coming from Swiss, and uh, it was first time when I saw him live in TV. That time, I I don't know exactly the year, but for sure more than ten years ago. Before he was first time top ten. He was playing so nice. I mean, Federer was the best in the world. It was 7-6, 7-5, the game or something, but uh, but Wawrinka was the better player on the court. So powerful, so... so Okay, he was doing a lot of mistakes, he was not so focused, losing game from 40 love and making easy mistakes, And but the, he got the stamina, he got a very heavy hand, as we, as we say in tennis, and, uh, and my... my um, I am a very visual coach, so I like the, 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 the nice strokes, you know, the nice movement, the really good technique. So Wawrinka, it's a, it's a book. You can, you can teach people playing tennis just showing how he's playing, you know. All the strokes, the serve and the backhand and the forehand, yeah. They are like, uh, like, uh, like, like in theory, it's perfect, everything, you know. So I, that time I start, uh, I start following him, you know. And then he was top 10 and going out. And then the the matches when he won the Australian Open, they were unbelievable. I was screaming and it, I was so happy, you know. And then uh, I met him. I met him first time, I think, last year. Last year in Golangaros, yeah. Uh, he was practicing with Dimitrov, the new, the new court. What was the name? In the forest there, in the Orangerie. I forgot. What was the name of the new court in Olangaros last year? And um, Simona was practicing with Dona Vekic right after, you know? And Wawrinka um, and Vekic, they, they were together, and I think one or two weeks before Olangaros, they split. Yeah? So, uh, for sure, now, who is going on the side of, of, uh, of the chair where Wawrinka is? Simona is not going Dona Vekic. It's normal, yeah? <laughs> Uh, yeah, for sure, you know, so you avoid these things. So we went there and uh, Simona say hello, they know each other, say hello, hello, and this is my coach. And I said, oh, Stan, you know, I am a really big fan of you and this and this. And I took the racket, how heavy and how, and we spoke a little bit. And he was really funny and really nice, you know. And then we make a picture together and then uh, um, he sent us some good uh, mousse of chocolate. Simona likes chocolate, and I don't know, he get a good restaurant. The next day, he sent us some mousse of chocolate. And, and then each day, I met him, yeah? We said hello. It was unbelievable. He remembered me. So we said hello, and this, and that, and how are you? And then, and then the, the nice thing, it was in Wimbledon. Because um, he arrived also early. He was practicing. And one day, waiting for Simona to come from the locker room, he came out first. From the locker room, hey Daniel, how are you? Hey Stan, how are you? And I said, can I speak with you one moment? And he said, yes. And I said, come on Stan, you won three Grand Slams, you won the Davis Cup, you won the Olympic medal. 
you are unbelievable, I said. If you win this Wimbledon, you will be better than everyone because you play such a good tennis. Come on, do something, I said. And he said, man, are you crazy? I just practice six hours a day each day. What do you think? I don't want this. Yeah? But it's really, I really, how, how he said, uh, I'm trying my best or some, by laughing, you know? So it was unbelievable. It was really unbelievable. And then all the year when I met him, we spoke each other and 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 um, he get all the time time to, to say hello to us, the whole team and Simona. And I was watching him practicing and asking him things. Unbelievable nice person. Really, really and nice that, that's, that's a great story. So let's wrap this conversation up. We covered quite a lot. We have one hour in the books. So I'll just put in a recent question. Uh, the talk of the ATP and WTA, a lot of people were talking about this. Federer was talking about this. Of course, Billie Jean King has been forever talking about this. Uh, the two tours to merge. Uh, do you like the idea? Or do you think the women have a good product, uh, you know, as, term, as far as the future of the players? So uh, how do you see that merger if that happens? I mean, I can tell you that... It's a nice atmosphere where when the boys and the girls they are playing together. So it's a really nice atmosphere, you know. So uh, it's not a, it's they don't feel like they are uh, opposite. I mean they are they are uh, working for the same thing. Everybody get the money. Every guy every guy their specific publicum. So for sure, uh, the boys they get a more image. They get more image. So they are more exposed and they they attract a little bit more. But in the same time, they are girls, they are women and they are players that are doing the same thing. So I think it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing because uh, the experience from the both sides, they can go together. You know, the sponsorships, maybe they can they can go together. You know, maybe there are some uh, sponsors from the boys who are who like to go in the women's tennis and otherwise. And and I think it's be easy. it would be easier to to make a calendar it would be easier um, to know exactly what is important and what not because right now it's everything is very egoistic you know it's normal yeah but when you are under the same umbrella then maybe you find solution you know that uh, some compromise you know and that's for 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 the best for everybody you know i don't know exactly how it's work everything atp and wt but i think it's a good thing i think yeah, let's see how that plays out. And before we wrap this up, uh, Murta Tunga, uh, who arranged this introduction and for you to come on the podcast. So I guess uh, you know him way back. So there was a big win, I think, 30 years ago in Murt's career uh, in Davis yeah. Cup. Yeah. yeah. Talk about that. Talk about that. <laughs> it was unbelievable. I mean, I, I was this year in January in Turkey, in Antalya for some futures. So I was thinking, come on, 30 years ago, my career started here. Yeah, I was thinking. I was. I spoke with Simona about that. Look, I start here, and I was with you at Wimbledon, and she was really nice, and, and she wrote me a really nice message, you know. And that time it was uh, the communist Romania, you know. Uh, what a nice country! But uh, never we were thinking, okay, we go in Turkey, and they are uh, they are like uh, middle age, you know. They, it's a it's a bad country or something like this. And then we found uh, an unbelievable country with unbelievable nice people very open and very warm and and uh, the players they were playing good not only Mert and other players they were they were playing good tennis but okay they don't play some professional they the only goal they had to go to the American University to get a stipendium you know and uh, 
it was the beginning of a, of a big friendship, not only with Mert, also with the other players. And, and I can tell you, after the Wimbledon last year, at least 100 people from Turkey, they called me or they sent text me, yeah, hey, remember me, I am the player who played with you two hours in that club that time, congratulations, things like this, you know. So people, they remember. So if they put you in your heart, all the time you will be there in Turkey, you know. So it was unbelievable. No, that's, have, that's great. I had some from that time and uh, all the time good memories and a lot of contact also right now with the people that uh, we have that uh, that time, you know. No, that's quite a beautiful memory, and thanks for sharing that. So, Daniel Dobre, it was an absolute pleasure talking with you. Thanks for coming on Tennis with an Accent.